Welcome to Roger and Me, a weekly podcast where film critic Mark Dusick and quote unquote film critic Brett Arnold are here. Uh, <laughs> we're back. We are here reviewing every movie fit to print. And by that, I mean every movie that is that is out on this Friday, October 7th, 2022. Uh I believe there's a movie out in New York City that we will not be able to cover until next week, uh, but that's fine because it's not out anywhere else, I don't believe. And there's a couple stragglers today that I don't know if we'll get to. There are so many options, but we've got at least 10, I think, is the number. Uh, and yeah, that's that's what we're here to do. Roger and Me is a podcast. It's called that because we're paying respect to Roger Ebert. We're going Siskel and Ebert mode. We're reviewing all the movies in a quick, bite-sized format. We will try not to go too long on these, especially today when we have so many. Uh, Mark, thank you for being here. It sounded like... Sorry, there we go. It sounded like I was going to say something else, but I didn't. I I was waiting on the other thing too, but yeah, it's good to be back on Friday. I know you've been busy with the film festival and it's going well, right? Yeah, the film festival is going great just because of scheduling i haven't been able to go as much in week two as i did in week one so i definitely missed a lot of things i was hoping i could catch so that's a bummer but life gets in the way i had some car stuff to deal with and other other issues but the festival's going great new york film festival new york film festival is honestly the place where i end up watching what ends up being probably five to six of the movies on my top 10 of the year I always end up seeing at the New York Film Festival because they have great selections. So I've my best of the year list has grown significantly in the past few days. So I'm having a great festival. Oh boy. Oh, and we only in, oh, including we're that movie. That yeah, including that movie that you're seeing next week that I'm cool. that uh is out in New York. Uh yeah, there's it's gonna be a, interesting to see how we cover the movies I've kept I've caught at the festival in the future when they come out. Uh maybe I'll see them again, maybe I won't. We'll have to find out. But there's a movie this week. There's an elephant in the room, so to speak. Maybe even I could I could even say there's a crocodile in the room because <laughs> I am a coward. I'm a coward. I'm a cowardly lion to add more animals to the metaphor here. Uh, and I did not go see a major, probably the biggest release of the week, arguably. Um, arguably. Yeah. Uh, I did not go see Lyle Lyle Crocodile. I know Mark has, and I don't want to belabor the point, but I had a question from last week, or more of a, it was a, it was a rumor I had heard through the grapevine that this Lyle Lyle Crocodile only speaks or doesn't speak. He sings. He speaks through song. Can you confirm or deny this, please? I can confirm most assuredly oh, that no. the crocodile only sings. Does that mean In the voice he's just of Sean like, Mendes? Very funny. Um, <laughs> does that mean he's like sing songy dialogue, or is oh, he like no, full no, no, on no. musical? He mode? only, he only, he only sings for big musical numbers. Everything <laughs> so, else is gestures of a digital kind, which I, you know, I feel kind of bad. I mean, I'm not going to feel too bad for a recording artist of major status like Sean Mendes, I guess. <laughs> Who has worked with Taylor Swift, who's going to come up very shortly here yeah. <laughs> and then also disappear very shortly in our conversation, yes, not to true. spoil anything. That's but, also I mean, true. Yes. It, it feels a little bad. Like, is Sean Mendez, do they not have any kind of confidence in his acting abilities? They don't even let him talk or mumble or anything. It's only 
only singing and only when it's something recognizable or something that we wrote. I don't know. So wait, recognizable as in he's singing like pop songs? That he exist? sings a couple. He sings a few bars of like Stevie Wonder and Elton John. <laughs> and I bet you can guess what? which Elton John song it is. Oh, yeah. Crocodile yeah. Rock. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> so that some, movie has a sense of humor. Um, I wish. I no. wish it did. It's so it's such a weird premise and it's not weird enough as a movie it just tries to it's based on something it, right like it's a, based on a kid's book yeah it's based on a kid's book from like the 70s i think i don't i don't know i don't know that one um but yeah it's it should be a lot weirder than it is but it tries to be this very sincere musical with some very maudlin moments that don't work at all and you have like constance Wu and scoop mcnary uh playing like the parents of this kid what? who finds the crocodile and they I, they they deserve some credit because they play like in the background all these completely ridiculous scenes with the like severity of a relative dying. It's it's commendable to a degree, but I mean it's it's not a good movie. I know a couple of people and a couple of critics are saying yeah it's fine, maybe it's fine for kids. I don't know. I found it to be just kind of tedious and not funny and weird enough but that's that's kind of where where my stance is on it uh one more question about lyle lyle crocodile okay. or not really not really a question i just you mentioned the singing thing and now it just now i can't stop laughing at the idea of sean mendez being like yeah i'll do your movie but i'm not doing any dialogue i'm not saying anything other than songs like it was like a stipulation in a contract and they had to write a movie around it i, I mean it's very possible that it was like in his contract from a like the recording label. Cause I assume that like music labels have specific contracts when they get people out, their recording artists out to do something separate from them. I don't know if, you know, I don't know who he signed with or anything. Those are always strange little details. I, I don't quite understand, but speaking of things we don't quite understand what a perfect transition. Let's talk yeah. about Amsterdam, the new film from David O. Russell. I'm just trying to fucking help you. Do you understand me? No, no, I'm being a fucking collaborator. I'm just trying to help you figure out the fucking picture. Hey, bitch. I'm not here to be fucking yelled at. I worked on this fucking thing for three fucking years not to have some fucking cunt yell at me in front of the fucking crew when I'm trying to fucking help you, bitch. Figure it out yourself. Well, I have to figure it out. Yeah, fuck yourself. Why don't you fuck your whole movie? Why don't you fuck your whole movie? Because that's what you're doing. Whoopsies, I got Whoops. my wires crossed. Uh oh. And I accidentally showed the footage of David O. Russell being a complete fucking maniac to Lily Tomlin oh, on no. the set of I Heart Huckabees. How did that happen? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. What a That's bummer. So weird. Verbally abusive, and he actually throws stuff at her. Unbelievable. Anyway. Let's watch the trailer for his major motion picture that is in theaters now with an all-star cast. Harold, I don't know what you think you're doing. Excuse me. Hello. Got a dead white man in a box. Not even a casket. Doesn't even have a top on it. In a pine box of old wood. Who do you think is going to get in trouble here? Do me a favor. Try to be optimistic. Don't get here without things starting a long time ago. Everywhere so two soldiers and the nurse found ourselves in Amsterdam. The trailer does a great job of 
showing that the movie has no idea what it's doing or what it's about <laughs> like what what did i just see anyway amsterdam the latest film from david o russell starring margot margot robbie um uh christian bale and what's it, john david washington correct yep and what would you say this movie's about um it's about ultimately a big conspiracy that is a lot more interesting than this movie even tries to hint at it being because it is all over the place. It's, it's basically a straightforward murder mystery from the very start where you have uh, recording artist, Taylor Swift show up for maybe about five minutes of screen time. I wonder what then, recording artists will be in the third movie we discussed. I don't know, but I'll, I'll find one. I will make an effort to go through the cast list and find someone with a recording contract with a major or even independent label. I'll figure it out. Anyway, so she's shoved very violently off uh, out of the picture. Um, and then Christian Bale and John David Washington's characters have to try to solve her murder. And then the movie very suddenly jumps into a flashback to explain why Margot Robbie is in this movie um, to just go through this thing of them meeting during the Great War, otherwise known as World War One. Being part of this special unit, it's an all-black unit, and Christian Bale is brought in as their doctor because the other doctor doesn't want to do anything. And apparently this very deep, lifelong friendship is established by them kind of playing games and singing nonsense songs in Amsterdam when the war is done. And, you know, that's, that's about it in terms of character development. The rest of it is just going from different character to different character, played by a major actor each and every time that you recognize and you kind of are like, okay, what's this guy going to do? What's this, what's this person going to do with this role? And it turns out not much of anything Nothing. because Russell has no interest in these people as people. They are just pawns in this big elaborate game he's setting up, which is nothing really. It's just a murder mystery where there is something very interesting and potentially relevant to modern day going on. But by the time that shows up, we don't care about it either. I don't get what's going on here. It's it's a it's a big letdown. Yeah, it eventually reveals itself to be like a farce about creeping fascism, which is like a timely thing, of course. And it just completely seems disinterested in that until it has to wrap up its story, right? Like it's such a strange movie. And the I mean, the trailer sets the table perfectly because it has that Chris Rock role which honestly the trailer i've seen that a million times i always thought he like i'm like this is an awful line reading and awful for performance it's not a funny joke i think this sucks and he thankfully he's not in the movie very much but like that is his that's that is his performance in the movie it's very bad i think he's noticeably bad uh i mean the the last thing i remember seeing him in was jigsaw in which he was or uh or not uh spiral from the book of saw and like he was also really bad in that so like I'm having like this moment of thinking, was Chris Rock ever a good actor or is this a comedian who we've shoved into things? Also, he was in Fargo season four. He's really good in that. See, I haven't I don't watch enough TV. I did watch oh, a okay. couple seasons of that and I didn't watch that season. But he was oh, good. You should it. watch it. It's a good season because Jesse Buckley's in it, too. And she love Jesse. We're, see, now we're going to now we're going to talk about Fargo, which is far more. Well, interesting, it's far but... more interesting than yeah. Amsterdam. But like the whole the whole like pull of the title being Amsterdam too. It's just like, okay, so that is significant. Why? Because that's where they met and like form this lifelong bond. Like, is there more to it than that? Or like the freedom that, that they get because like, 
interracial relationship. They couldn't do that in America at the time. It seemed like it was fine of a thing to do in Amsterdam. Like I couldn't tell like why. Like why is this movie called Amsterdam? Like what is the meaning of the city? Or, or you know, I, I, it just never really came together. It's not interested in that. And it's not interested in much of anything. It's interested in kooky performances and like just. This is billed as a comedy, I think, and it is stunning how many jokes it's, fall flat. Like, I don't even know if it's trying to be funny for long stretches. It's hard to tell because, yeah, a lot of these perform. Um, yeah, Chris Rock feels out of place. I I like John David Washington as an actor, even though sometimes his roles aren't too. I, I, I think he can I'm be still good. Not sold on him, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think he can be good. This he just seems completely unaware of what he's trying to do here. Robert De Niro looks visibly lost on screen because he's <laughs> yeah. just playing a military general who's supposed to be like the key to the entire plot. And I think he knows it and is just reading his lines. And it just, it, there's so much of that Christian Bale there. I don't like the fact that they use his war injuries kind of as a quirk. That it's feels- weird. Well, when the movie opened and it's like, introducing you to the character and what he does for a living i was like what a compelling character what a cool idea and like the visuals of like him mending a guy's face in 1920 whatever and it looks pretty garish like i i thought that was really cool and then the movie you're right it just it doesn't do anything with his glass eye falls out occasionally and oh isn't that funny that he's got to find his glass eye it's like that's i what are you what are you trying to do here it's not funny there's nothing to the character by the end except that and i don't there's nothing else to any of the other characters margot robbie is what she's her character makes like art out of shrapnel and has like a an old movie (laughs) camera and i there's nothing to these characters they are just there to recite plot and to point people into different directions to talk to more and like that would be okay maybe if the plot was if the movie was actually interested in the plot and telling us the implications of it it just seems like it's yeah it's just all i don't even know what to say it's about because it's really not about anything other than watching these actors like i don't know if choose scenery is the right word oh no they're just like they're just like acting you're watching them act in like goofy christian bales in a goofy role everyone else like anya taylor joy is doing something pretty like everyone's doing something in like a goofy register but the movie doesn't know what to do with anybody and like i think it's because the three main characters are straight like they're not comp they're not comic characters in the movie so like everyone they encounter has to be comic but like they're not (laughs) like yeah they're not they're supposed to be i think but they're just not funny and like there's nothing compelling or interesting about any of the people we meet i saw someone compare this to like it's going for what wes anderson tried to do in like grand budapest and i'm like that is a successful version of like the idea of like highlighting authoritarian backsliding in mm-hmm. like a movie set in the interwar period that like mixes styles and tones. I think it was Sonny Bunch who talked about that. And I think he's totally right. Um, and it's funny because I was watching this and I was like, this isn't dissimilar from see how they run for a while at least. And I'm like, that movie was trying to be a different Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> and uh, a lot of what I feel like his influence is everywhere, but yeah, Amsterdam is just, confounding mostly mm-hmm. i was just watching it confused mostly like waiting for any sort of semblance of what it was going for to kick in and then once it does reveal what's it's what the conspiracy at the center of it is you're like oh that's the point you were trying to make like what <laughs> you took a really long route to get there dude yeah and the point the point deeper than the just the plotting in terms of like this idea of kindness i mean 
if you hadn't played that clip or if that clip hadn't played accidentally, it wouldn't feel like complete bull- BS, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's like the like, unspoken oh, thing, too, is like David O. Russell's an asshole and he still is making movies, even though that is and, a known entity. Uh, and making a movie him. about yeah, everybody should be kind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I'm not buying it. It's just the weird sense of humor with very serious themes. It's a mess. It's a mess of a movie. Uh, one and a half out of four for me. I am right on the money with you on that one. Yeah, one and a half. It's It's got a little bit of promise at the start. I think a couple of the performances are okay. But yeah, otherwise, it's just... <sighs> yeah. Tough, tough stuff. All right, let's get to something we both enjoyed a lot more. This is Triangle of Sadness from Ruben Olstad. So, is this runway casting for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand? So, it's a grumpy brand, yeah. Congratulations! Show me that Balenciaga look. Suddenly, I'm dressed in something way less expensive. It's H&M! Yay! Balenciaga! And H&M! Balenciaga! And H&M. It looks paid for the tickets. Not bad, huh? <laughs> so what do you do? I sell shit. The success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. I don't want to hear anybody saying no. It's always yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I command you. Enjoy the moment. No, no, no. <laughs> what? You say no to me? No, no. Oh, so it's yes. It's, yeah, no. Yes. Go in. Yes. That scene is so funny. And it kind of encapsulates the theme of the movie very well. Mark, what is Triangle of Sadness? Triangle of Sadness is a very, very flexible movie is the way I described it in my written review. Sure. It's, it is, it starts off as like it's this, three movies. It is three very different movies, but all tied together thematically in some way, even in ways that aren't quite connected at first, but you start to see them get connected. Mm-hmm. So it starts off like as this relationship drama slash comedy, almost like a rom-com about this couple that's together and they're arguing. They're both models. Um, and one of them is a, a woman, one is a man, the man's paid less in this industry. So they're arguing over the bill because he's expecting her to pay the bill. Like she promised that and scene they get, also oh, hilarious. The way so that good. he's like, just like basically calls her out on her bullshit of she's like, Oh, I didn't see it get put out. I didn't see the check get put on the table. He's like, you didn't see the check get put on the table. Really? It, just, it was so sitting there funny. for so long. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, that scene goes on for way longer than it should. And is very funny. But it's very, that's the reason why yeah. it's funny. There's yeah, and so that's much. How, yeah. A lot of the movies good, like that. Yeah. That is a good point. That's a good way to describe it. It goes on longer than it should, but it should go on that long because the entire point is just, you know, just being convicted and yeah. convinced about the gag and selling it and bringing it through to this completely absurd end. So you yeah. have that scene with the woman at the hot tub uh, where it's like, no, yes. I mean, no, I can't say no. That's right. I'm not allowed yeah. to say no. And that's exactly what would happen. And that all escalates. They, the two models end up on a cruise that they got there on for free. And they meet a bunch of eccentric people who are wealthy for various things. One of them is an arms manufacturer, which leads to a literal joke grenade at one point. <laughs> oh my God. I had forgotten about that until you it's, just mentioned it. Like, the movie has a deranged sense of humor and it's not afraid it to like do anything for a laugh. Yeah. And that's what I like so much about it is that it does these very subtle 
very reserved kind of comedy bits like them arguing over the check. But then by the end of the second act, it is just chaos and bodily fluids everywhere. And it's just as funny in the one mode as it is in the other, because I think the whole point is it does just buy into every single gag and carry it through as far as it possibly can. And even a little bit beyond that. Yeah, and, and even the spect the specter of Woody Harrelson pays off so well. They yeah. tease him the whole first act <laughs> of the movie, and like, and then they deploy him, and it's so good. And then he's gone, and it's it's wonderful. And it works. It works. Yeah, yeah he's he's the captain of this of this ship, and he's just <laughs> drunk captain. in his cabin yeah. for yeah. like the first what like three or four days or something. He's just drunk in he's his pretty cabin. much drunk in his cabin. The except for the hour and a half he has to be at the captain's dinner. That's basically yeah, which the whole he thing. schedules on the day. The only day he's not supposed yeah. to when there's a big storm coming in. Yeah, and that which... scene's hilarious where she's like just trying to talk to him through the door and be like, what day can we schedule this? Every day, any day except for Thursday. And he goes, yeah. Thursday's great. Let's do it. <laughs> just not yeah. listening. Yeah, it's great. And then he's so he's like this American socialist and he ends up arguing with this Russian capitalist about communism and capitalism. And they're like on their phones trading quotes. I don't it, it feels like we're just going to be like reciting gas there are so many good ones there are so many good ones and i i I really like how it does set up these various themes about gender dynamics and about class distinctions and it doesn't and by the third act the third act is really good because it just whittles everything down to like what is the point of society how do we have a good functioning society and yeah, it, it basically works. turns into Lord of the Flies at the end for the yeah. third act. And it's really compelling the way things transpire between the cu- the couple we've been following the whole movie. Yep. And an interloper, let's say, yeah. who is fantastic. Yeah, there's um, yeah, there's just really, really funny stuff here. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's, I, it's smart and it's funny. It's smart and it's funny. But I feel like the people who don't like it and I, it's hard to argue with them on this point where it's like, it's pretty like easy target stuff of mm-hmm. like and like there's been so many movies that target the rich and like are basically eat the rich type of movies with that mentality but like this one succeeds because of the specificities of the jokes and the follow through and the realness of the like love the dynamic of the male model female model and like the stuff like that and how that's mirrored throughout the whole movie in other characters it's it's really good. I had a great time. It's definitely very long, and like some people probably will find it overwhelming, but yeah. I quite, quite liked it. It's like a three and a half out of four for me. Nice. It's a very solid three out of four for me. Because I, I think, I, I mean, I don't know if it has a point. I think the mex- message gets a little bit mixed by the end, but I don't care. It's just it's just really good as a comedy in so many different ways. That's That's mainly it for me. Would you mind if I pivoted to one that I put later in the show? Just because oh, yeah. I think it's thematically more interesting. Um, yeah. I think it ties, I think Pretty Problems is kind of like a fun companion piece to to talk alongside Triangle of Sadness. Yep. So here's a trailer for Pretty Problems, a, sm- a very small movie from IFC. That it's so I say small because it really looks like it's a sitcom <laughs> the way it's shot. So don't be don't be alarmed. Your husband is so funny. Oh, he is definitely having fun. (laughs) I'm just like this crazy stranger who stumbles into your store and then invites you to. Sonoma. Who who does that? (laughs) Jack thinks we're crazy, right? 
That's a murder house. What? That's a house where murder happens. Who thinks you're going to murder us? <laughs> this could be some weird rich person sex thing. Oh, whoa. I do where people are coming up. Oh, this is it. You know what else this would pair nicely with? Is hmm. a movie we covered a few weeks ago called Speak No Evil. It's like yes. the comedy version of that. It's like that by way of Triangle of Sadness almost. Because this is definitely like a comedy of manners, class comedy thing about the rich and the poor. But told in a way that is kind of like a... It's just kind of not told in the most compelling way. I didn't love this movie. It def, it feels mean to like rag on it in any way. Because it's so small. It's like clearly like a very independent thing made by some comedians and writers and it like i believe won at the audience award at south by and got picked up by ifc so like i have no ill will towards this movie but i also didn't feel much beyond like very mild amusement and it definitely again after watching so many similar movies lately including triangle of sadness it definitely pales in comparison but there are some like rich like good nice observations and moments like when she's trying to impress her rich friend by paying for the wine for dinner, which to the rich friend is is like pennies on the dollar. It's nothing. But to them, it's like literal. I think they end up spending like an absurd amount of money, like thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on how much wine they buy. Yeah, I did the math in that moment. Like $36,000. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I did the math too. I was like, oh my God. And like, I get that impulse to like want to show off around your the richer friends and like prove it's fine. But like doing that is your fucking ruin. But the movie just kind of plays it for, you know, light comedy. And it just felt too derivative for me to like ultimately make much of an impression, especially because it opens with the same exact scene as a very similar movie called The Overnight. Uh, the same exact scene where like a couple's having sex and they basically aren't having a good time. So they both just masturbate so quietly to each uh, to themselves um it's def you know you know what i'm saying harmless fun yeah. kind of kind of fun but like i think you liked it a hair more than i did i think i might have liked it a little bit more than you did i i thought it was pretty funny um up until a certain point when it starts to kind of try to have a message and i didn't think the message is sold quite as well as it's a completely different triangle of sadness. I don't know if it has a message, but it's really funny. This one's pretty funny and it tries to have a message. And because it tries to have a message, it collapses because there are some really good gags. So a lot of the gags are that the people who are trying to impress this, these rich friends that they just made. And that's funny because there's this desperation behind it. And you understand it because they're both struggling, not only in terms of the relationship, but in terms of financially, too. And so you you sympathize with them immediately. But by the end, it starts to feel like it's pulling its punches and saying, well, they're kind of just as bad as the rich people because, you know, they they're still doing it. They're still trying to impress these people. They don't have to do it. But I mean, come on. Everybody knows they <laughs> these people are promising them things that they can't pay off on they can't fulfill and i just i did not buy that message for a second um it also so, yeah. is like 105 minutes when it like feels like it should be 80 and i don't know it it, it was just fine I, i'm like i guess i'm just going two and a half on this because like i don't really feel one way or the other like i i can't recommend it but i'm not going to dissuade anybody like yeah. if you think it looks like it's up your alley it's it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's definitely like 
low production quality. Not not low as in like it looks bad. It just doesn't it doesn't look like a movie. It looks like a TV show. Yeah, it's like you know it's overlit or it's lit directly by the sun depending yeah. on it. So it looks you know it just looks like they just put the camera in whenever they could. All right, the next movie. Let's keep it in the indie region. Let's go with the uh, uh, indie movie starring Andrea Riseborough called To Leslie. How did it feel to win such a life-changing sum of money? Oh, well, I feel a hell of a lot better yesterday. <laughs> what do you plan to do with 190,000 smackaroos? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe buy a house, buy something nice for my boy, you know? Just have a better life. Save my soul, ran through the night, lost in the woods. And I won't be good mama again. She just blew all that money. Yeah. yeah. Where's she been? I won the lottery. I was the one who won the lottery. You help yourself. We always do. Make them derelicts you spit on. We ain't partying no more. Now, this is one of those quietly devastating indies buoyed by a terrific lead performance from Andrea Riseborough, who I always love and everything. Include, uh, I guess I didn't particularly love her in Amsterdam, which she's also in this week, but she's fine in it. But she is terrific in To Leslie, which could, I could see a, a worse movie collapsing under the weight of the cliches on display. And like this movie we've seen a million times about an alcoholic person, but it's the specificity of the situation, the performance, the casting of Mark Marin that is like kind of stunt casting in a way based if you know anything about mark Marin and his history with addiction it's really meaningful to add to cast him in that role and i found it like deeply moving and the performance he gives is very good um it's definitely a better than your average indie b- carried by those great performances the lead and mark Marin, and it's just a sad story about a alcoholic woman who you see in the trailer she wins the lottery that's the opening the trailers basically opens like the movie does. And then we see like what happened and she's, she drank it all the way and has nothing left and her life is bad. (laughs) And we watch her trials and tribulations and it's kind of elusive what kind of story it's telling. And it ultimately ends up being very worthwhile though. Uh, What did you think of this movie? Uh, Yeah, I liked it too. And I did, like that it has this sense of just her wandering around everywhere just trying to like she's she can only really stay in a place as long as people will either put up with her or as long as she can you know hide the fact that she's drinking and that felt right that felt honest in a way that i'm not quite used to from movies like this where yeah the point seems to be the recovery and eventually this movie does kind of take that turn towards being more uplifting and i don't know if it sells it entirely because of the first like two acts or so where she's just going from place to place, she's booted out of a motel. She stays with her son who's played by Owen Teague. He's really good here. Yeah. Um, she ends up staying with, um, back in her hometown with, uh, Steven root and Allison Janney. Um, they're both good, even though, you know, it's more Janney's <laughs> role to cover up, uh, what's going on here. Um, but yeah. And, I just, yeah, I liked it. It does feel specific and it feels like it earns where it goes, even if it does start to feel a bit more predictable and generally uplifting. I think the specificity of it is in that feeling of 
just despair and how she got to this point and how the cycle keeps going over and over again. And you can sense it coming each and every time that like, maybe she does have her act together now, but then, you know, something will happen. Something shifts. Like the sun will just go to work and suddenly her mission is now, you know, find booze. And that's just the way that her life has been for, you know, years we can understand as we understand it. Um, yeah. Riseboro is great. Um, Marin's very good too, in kind of a cliched part, but I think he plays it with just this sort of bite that he's not just like the decent guy, the really good guy who's going to solve everything. There is something more to him. Yeah. There's Um, an edge. Yeah, it works. And I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's simple enough that it It feels, doesn't it feel, it made me like, I think I'd have to look it up, but it felt very personal. Like I would bet that the guy who made this movie's mother is an alcoholic, and like I, and that made it more powerful to me. Like it felt very lived in, in that way. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, like I said, it feels it feels right for especially in those first two acts. Um, yeah, yeah, good movie. If you can uh, seek out Two Leslie, definitely worth a watch. Really great yeah. performances. Uh, let's switch gears and go into. A movie we're highlighting on the New Flesh podcast this week, uh, much anticipated from me. One of my favorite movies of all time is Hellraiser. And this is a reboot slash sequel. I think it's safe to say Uh, it's on Hulu, unfortunately, but not in theaters. And you can watch it now. Here's Hellraiser 2022. Beautiful, isn't it? It's really nice. You can hold it. What is it? It's a puzzle. And it's almost finished. Keep going. So if I solve it, do I get a prize? I do. It has six sides, six configurations. It opens up and it cuts you. And then they come to collect. It's time. Had to give you a look at the Cenobites. Let that play a little longer. Um, I'm... I feel like this movie, if you're a Hellraiser aficionado, you will have to admit, like, even if it's not great, it is by default, like, the third best Hellraiser movie out of, like, 10 or 11 of them or whatever there are. Um, I actually quite like this. I know a lot of hardcore Hellraiser fans are mad at it. I know there's plenty that also like it, but there's plenty that have criticisms. And I would agree that, like, it lacks the kink and sex that makes the original so iconic and like is in, you know, a big part of Clive Barker's text and like, there's definitely issues, but like, again, compare them to the Hellraiser, the other Hellraiser sequels. And this one is definitely a step up. And it also has all the goofy lore that I love about this franchise. It has that in there. It's all the issue with that saying that is that it also has the problems that a lot of the sequels have, which is like, paper thin annoying characters that no one really cares about 
and like not enough of the stuff you want. Every Hellraiser sequel, a hallmark of them to me is it doesn't have enough X. And by X, it usually means pinhead, Cenobites, people getting killed. The the Hellraiser sequels that went straight to video after the first four theatricals, I believe, uh, you know, they famously took scripts that weren't Hellraiser movies. They were like cop scripts and they like retrofitted Pinhead and Hellraiser in elements into those. So again, <laughs> the franchise's history is rife with bad sequels. So I have to get that ahead. I had to get ahead of that uh, when I say that I really like this one because there's a lot to like about it even though I'm going to end up spending my horror podcast probably talking about a lot of stuff I didn't like about it. But there is a lot to like about it. Mark, what did you like this movie at all? Um, I No, I didn't. <laughs> What's your relationship with the, with the franchise? My, my relationship with the franchise is um, I think the first one's okay. Um, oh, and I, oh. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. I think it's I think it's interesting as like a like an almost like a neo-noir plot that just happens to have a bunch of demons in it. And then I'm not a big fan when the demons kind of take over. And I think that's my big problem with the franchise in general, from what I've I've seen the first four um that were released theatrically. Uh I will have to try to catch up with the uh the off-brand or official direct to video ones there you don't need I'm, to but we I'm, will be watching of, them on the new flesh again out of morbid curiosity i will yeah. catch up with them eventually um you know, scott derrickson made one Adam i know Scott's i did see one that. of them yeah like yeah. there's weird stuff about each one i don't find the cenobites that interesting and i don't know if the filmmakers of the previous sequels find them in, that interesting i do appreciate this one because they are in the background for a lot of it because it is more about the puzzle box and the people who want what the puzzle box promises them. And that's an interesting story about this, you know, the human need for, you know, just as greed for power or knowledge or whatever it is that it's offering to them. Sensation. Yeah. But then it also just kind of is like, you know, all these characters do is look into the box and try to figure out its past. Yeah. Um, I mean, the my biggest problem with this movie which is something like we talked about when we talked about smile last week where this movie is like halfway between trying to be like one of those modern horror movies that's really a meditation on grief or an allegory about drug addiction it wants yeah. to be that for sure which is like an element that i'm still wishy-washy on and don't know if i need it in a hellraiser movie but it also that's what i mean it's halfway between that and a proper hellraiser sequel in that people get dragged to hell with chains it sticks to the mythology and also adds a bunch to it um and the characters are all thin and it spends too much time on boring procedural elements like those are all elements (laughs) of hellraiser to me so like it is that and i can't deny it for like living up to that expectation um i i don't think those two things that i mentioned like it's halfway between the allegory stuff and this other hellraiser movie i actually think it's not a bad fit for each other i think it actually works more than I would like to admit. Um, like this movie looks and feels and sounds the part. And I think part of that is because the new score incorporates the iconic Christopher Young score very well. And it's like uh, very front and center. Like this is the iconic music you remember if you happen to be a Hellraiser dork who remembers those things. But um, I love that we, the, 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 the puzzle box, as you called it, the lament configuration as it yes, is yeah, formally, formally known. In this movie, I don't know if this, this metaphor will track for you or anybody else. But 
there was a toy when I was a kid called a bop it. You know what you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You would bop it, twist it, pull it. It had three functions. And then years later, they made a bop it extreme, and it had like seven or eight functions. The, the lament configuration in this movie is the lament configuration extreme to the original movie's lament configuration. Yeah. This is bop it analogy is really killing it for me. But it's cool. I love that the puzzle box isn't just the little Rubik's cube looking thing. It expands. It becomes like a dagger. Um, it was cool. I I enjoyed all the callbacks and references to the original. And there's like a torture porn era element to it. Like the guy who has like a device in him. You know what I mean? That felt like straight out of Saw. Like they have a guy who has like this this machine keeping him, uh, uh, torturing him all, at yeah, all times. Yeah, his nerves twisting around. Through yeah, this thing. so that disgusting. Was a, that was yeah. an interesting touch. I mean, it's it's absurd. It's ludicrous. But it's a, it's an interesting touch. And I, I don't know, maybe a little bit more of that, a little bit more imagination in terms of like what these demons... Uh, otherworldly creatures do might have elevated a bit for me, but I just it just really does feel like we're just explaining a bunch of yeah, stuff. and it and it just comes to a halt in like a third act where the people are running around a mansion. Like, yeah, it's not that I agree. There's pitfalls, but I also I can't get mad at a movie that like sticks to the mythology of the god Leviathan in the world of Hellraiser, and like I appreciated that. The plot involved like a Jeffrey Epstein type billionaire uh, luring in young young men and killing them for the Cenobites. Like I have, there's some elements I think are so cool, but and like the guy's doing it because he wants to have a chance to talk with God. Like that is like one of the lament configure. Like they actually, it gets kind of convoluted probably for people who don't care about this shit because it's like it gets into very much like well the puzzle box. There's like five different functions (laughs) of it, and like here's what each of them do. And that's all new stuff. And like, I appreciated that they're like, again, I think the reason I appreciated it is because I am a sucker for the bad Hellraiser sequels. And this one kind of incorporates a lot of the elements from the ba- the bad ones that are kind of that I that are stupid. But I'm like, I have an affinity for them. Like, I, I find them sweet in some way. It's it's not like a four out of four, three and a half out of four where I like, I think it's great. And I'm, I think it's the best reboot imaginable. I'm like, I have my issues. I have what I, but I actually, I ended up liking it more than I thought I would. I think it's the best since Hellbound by default. Hellbound is the second one, which is fantastic, I think. Um, the second one even has things I don't like, but it, it's so good in those other moments that it overpowers it. Um, it's just, I don't know. I expect yeah. it to be gayer too, because it has a trans person as Pinhead, and like it had this whole queer subtext with the, with the luring of the, the opening scene and even throughout her, you know, her roommate's gay. It has always like lip service to queer elements, but I don't think it's very queer as a movie, which I think a lot of Clive Barker fans are upset at too. Um, but yeah, three out of four for me on Hellraiser. Where are you? Um, yeah, two out of four. I don't have the Ooh. connection to the series that you do. So, I mean, it yeah. just, it didn't, it didn't hit the nice yeah. sweet spots for me. I just was like, it, it looks good. Some of it's creepy. Um, yeah, just too much exposition for me. It's like, okay, that's fair. Uh, go back and watch the original anyway, everybody. It's definitely the better movie. It's not, it's not the movie you think it's going to be based on. No, you might know about it. That's That's what I love about it. And every time I watch it, which is often like I am blown away by a new element, just like the grossness of the practical effects and the way all that manifests. It was Clive Barker's debut. 
as a director. It just you'll you'll there's no movie that looks like that movie ever ever again, except for Hell the second one, which also has stark imagery that is to me like top notch horror stuff, like the hell like the skinned woman with like a white suit on. That's like Hellbound, and that's a perfect iconic horror image to me. Um, this movie is her- horrendous and horrific for different reasons. Let's talk about Luckiest Girl Alive. Soon, I'll be an editor at the New York Times Magazine. Your voice simply peerless. And in six weeks, I'm getting married in a lavish but tasteful ceremony. Luke comes for money. Let's go, babe. But I have something no trust fund can buy. The Edge. Love my work. Hate babies. I'm this close to the life no one thought I deserved. This is Ani. Nice to meet you. Mr. Larson, it's me. Tiffany. Tiffany? I'm working on a documentary about the incident at your high school. Trailer is pretty, like, not what the movie is, I would say. Uh, What is Luckiest Girl Alive? So, Luckiest Girl Alive is, for me, it's... Um, kind of carried by Mila Kunis's performance, who I think is really, really good here, despite everything the movie throws at her and tries to do with her character and tries to add these different layers of importance to it that really, really fall flat. So she plays this writer for a sex column at a magazine who um, is trying to become like assistant editor at the New York times or something. And and she could have it except her fiance who's played by Finn Wittrock wants to move to London. And if she goes there, there it's like, it's, it's an interesting thing, but the gimmick is, which feels bad to call it a gimmick, but it is, is that she's pretending to be like this. Oh, it's a gimmick. Well put together person when she really has a bunch of really, really bad things in her past. And those bad things are the things that she's trying to hide. And as you saw at the very end tail end of that part of the trailer, it's about to come back and haunt her because there's a documentary filmmaker. I don't think this part is a spoiler because it, they do set it up pretty early. She's a survivor of a school shooting and the documentary filmmaker wants to make a movie with other survivors to try to piece together what happened And that's the first part of the trauma that she's, she has experienced. But but just wait, there's more, there's more. And it's, I, (laughs) I, I do. I was aghast to be honest with you. I'm not like a pearl clutcher when it comes to movies, but it was kind of insanely ill-advised. I think there is so much, there's so much that's ill-advised here. You have, let's, I I don't want to talk about it because it is kind of a spoiler and which feels terrible to talk about it in that way. But that's the way this movie sets it up is that it is like a plot twist. Like, Oh, what's the real trauma here? There's a scene where you learn the real trauma and it's shown in like this very graphic, but also strangely vague detail. So it almost just kind of feels like it's coming at you out of nowhere. And it's, um, it it's like the shock of it is supposed to make you, feel bad not the actual experience not what she has been going through but just the shock of it and then there's another scene where you actually see the school shooting and it's played out like this action scene where you have this younger version of mila kunis's character and her friends running around the school and dodging bullets and trying to and watching their when their people get, get hit blown up. it's like a it's like a war movie you can hear like yeah. the blood squelching it's disgusting yeah. 
it's, it's like an really, exploitation movie in in a lifetime movie that cannot can absolutely not pull it off. Yeah, yeah. And then to top it all off, it's like which is the worst misery, and it, it feels like this competition between which is worse, this or this, and we have to actually decide at some point apparently which is the worst, and it just. It's such a terrible, terrible decision from that moment. And as I said, Mila Kunis is very good here. And I think her performance works on a certain level, not just like this voiceover, the sarcastic, you know, knowing voiceover, but just yeah, it, like, performance in to general. Be, it wants to be Gone Girl, which is weird considering what it's about. Yeah. Um, it's just ill-advised, low-rent trauma porn trash that has no business sending around A, a school shooting, and B, the other thing and it's laughably bad and honestly offensive sensationalistic lifetime crap and again i'm no pearl clutcher it's just that it's so lazy and bad and tonally confused on top of being completely out of touch that as you said when it shows the action movie scene like that i just i couldn't stop laughing even though it was like traumatic shit being shown it is just like the unbelievable gall of this stupid fucking movie (laughs) um (laughs) I really, I haven't seen a movie I thought was worse in all year, probably. It is just one of those movies where, like, it's funny. It's like, if it were a true story, you know, that would be completely different. And all the, by the way, the movie would be completely different. It would be treated oh, yeah. with much yeah. less. It wouldn't be treated like this trashy paperback that it's based on or whatever. But, like, it's so funny to me when people, like, write a movie like this and it's like all about trauma and stuff like that and it's not like an art house movie that's actually interestingly about those things but it's just like an exploitation it's like it's exploiting it it's using that to get clicks so to speak and this in this way it's to get views on netflix it's like you just made that up there wasn't a school shooting where the victim had this happen to her you made this up and then you made me fucking watch it. <laughs> and as if to go, see, isn't that traumatic? Like, yeah, you made it up. I know that argument is like, takes, t- tears down all of movies. But when, when it comes to some, to content and material like this, it really just makes me laugh so hard when it's like, oh, I really like that movie that a person wrote where like anyone could write grief porn of this magnitude. Where it's just like, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens. And it just never feels like a real thing. It never feels like it's telling a real story. I am shocked that I see a couple of critics I really like giving this a positive review. Uh, I, I found it abhorrent. I I'm, like, looked- I'm a horror movie guy. It yeah. just was abhorrent. I'll have to I'll have to look into a couple of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you make a good point, and it's you know a famous quote from the namesake of this podcast is not what a movie is about; it's how, how it's, it's about, about it. it. Yeah, absolutely. this movie could have worked. If it actually examined the character, if Absolutely. it was tell the same exact story, if it actually examined what it means to deal with trauma in one way and in another way, and to feel um, maybe not as bad about the other trauma, which would seem to be horrifying, that would be interesting. But you're right. This is just a trashy presentation of that material that could have been yeah. better. Like if but the yeah. material, I'm, I'm assuming the material was bad to begin with. Yeah, like based on what it ends up being about, but it's the execution too in the movie yes. specifically. Like you don't shoot this the school shooting scene like that. No, in this movie, it, it is unbelievable to when it when it actually happens. And I can't believe there are people who watch it and like would be earnestly. Aff- I mean, I guess I understand why they would be earnestly affected by it. It's like it's like manipulation to me. I'm just like, it just feels so. It just feels so disingenuous and gross. And I can't believe 
uh, I mean, of course, it's going to be the number one thing on Netflix for like at least oh, yeah. a week. It's going to be yeah. very popular. Uh, so get ready for Luckiest Girl Alive 2. <laughs> what possible trauma could she face this time? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Jeez. Let's jump to another Netflix original based on a book. This one's based on a horror short story from Stephen King. This is Mr. Harrigan's phone. Back to school. Ring the bell. Brand new shoes. Walking loose. Why do you continue to come here? Because I enjoy our time together. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. My foot's just came out. Thank you. Let's give you a nickname. Pirate King. Look it. <laughs> yeah. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Mr. Harrigan. Has anyone ever tried to take advantage of you? How'd you deal with that? Harshly. Hey, Dad. Hey, buddy. I've got some really bad news. I will call you back if it seems appropriate. Mr. Harrigan, I wish that you were here. I got beat up pretty bad tonight. I want him to get what he deserves. Let's... Hmm, how am I going to start this? I think we need to look to a third member of the Stephen King family to make a movie about that's based on a short story about uh, a young boy communicating with the dead via a phone because we've got this one and we've got the black phone from Stephen King's son and both of those are a swing and a miss as far as I'm concerned um, I like this one a little more I appreciate that, that Stephen King wrote a short story that's basically like man the internet's bad phones are bad we're gonna usher ourselves into a misinformation era which we're already in and I appreciate it. Like it's, it's another writing trick that I like made fun of Luckiest Girl Alive for being like anyone could write that. It's funny to be like, I'm gonna set it in 2007 and then predict the misinformation age. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Stephen, you really nailed it from the future. Um, the movie is how would you describe it? I would describe it as it's Tuesdays with Maury until he dies, and then it becomes like a horror thing where. What is that? It's not like a monkey paw, but it's like a there's a, there's definitely movies that have this premise. Maybe the box is one where like yeah. you have to kill somebody or you 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 wish something and then it, or wish upon is a horror movie that has that premise. But basically, it becomes like the phone is just a vessel for him to be like, I wish this guy was dead. And then he dies. Actually, the Chucky remake was that, too. The Child's Play remake. <laughs> I'm rambling. What did you think of Mr. Harrigan's phone? I'm actually kind of surprised that the trailer, I, I mean, this movie spends like maybe like a good half of its runtime, not being about a dead rich. Oh, I know. Guy. <laughs> like, I know. That's what was surprising to me too, is watching it. Like the, the amount of time spent where he's not dead. <laughs> I know there's like, there's and that like, part's the better part of the movie. Yeah. There's a, there's a solid movie in here about this kid and this older man, like kind of bonding over like literature and trying to dissect literature and coming up with these lessons for life and the kid learning some things and kind of learning to push back a bit against the old man when he says something that's, you know, he doesn't quite agree with. There's some interesting stuff in there. And then, um, you know, Stephen, I, I love Stephen King. I really do. I yeah. have a, I, an insane collection of his books on my bookshelf. Um, 
Did you read this? I read. I, I read. This. I did not read it. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I have. I have to catch up with like his short story collections for like maybe the last three or four of those. Sure. I, I missed out on. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, famously he, he can't end a story, or at least he ends them badly. This one, he really does not end it. It just sort of fizzles out by the end because I don't know if it really knows what it has to say beyond like, yeah, phones are bad, aren't they? <laughs> And be careful what you wish for because you might get it and feel bad about it. I, I, yeah, it's definitely far more interesting as just this like two hander about this kid and older man, just kind of like talking. That's far more interesting. Remember when movies could be about that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, I yeah, totally agree. Far more interesting. And I, the horror elements kind of come out of nowhere. Um, you, and I knew I was in for trouble when it opened and just had like the placeholder times new Roman font for all the for all the title cards <laughs> the opening credits it feels very low rent and like it made me look into the director because i'm like i've heard of this guy yeah and he has to be one of the not i'm not trying to be mean he has a weird he has a weird i don't think he's a very good director he's directed the alamo the rookie the highwayman saving mr banks the little things the founder i kind of liked and, and the, the blind side and that's it He's just kind of like, what a lame career. <laughs> Those are all kind of bad movies, not memorable movies. And this movie is, his direction adds nothing. It feels very TV movie. I thought the short, the short story was fine. And I, cause I just, I just, I relate to, and agree. Uh, I really enjoy anyone talking about misinformation and pointing that out as a problem. And it's a crypto, it's like my kryptonite. I will like it. But even that, this movie just isn't compelling enough. It's like an anti-technology fable. Like, okay, that's cool. But what else is there? It just kind of lulls along until its conclusion. And it's also way too long for a short story. The movie does not need to be an hour, 40 minutes. Um, Also, the bully, one of the most hilarious Stephen King bullies. He tries to make the kids shine his shoes. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what year is this? It's supposed to be set in 2007 or whatever. Like he's Joe Pesci at Goodfellas or something. (laughs) completely did not buy it yeah uh yeah it's just okay if i were rating it on the roger ebert scale it would be a probably a two out of four yeah that's where i'm at too and yeah. it, but it's so weird that it's so much more interesting just two people talking i i yeah oh well here's another straight to streaming horror movie but one that i hadn't even heard of until i watched it and i actually loved it so here's the trailer for Significant Other, now on Paramount+. Plus. Before I knew you, I didn't really know what I wanted in life. And then I met you and I feel like I'm going somewhere. And I don't even know where, but I just know I want to go there with you. You ready to tell us what happened to you? Were you alone? I said I don't remember. What I'm trying to say is, you're my person, Ruth. I need to stop the trailer just because I realized I watched it cold and that was an incredible way to experience it. And that trailer already is getting at some stuff that I wish it did not. Uh, How would you describe this movie? Um, Another 
uh, sort of starts off one way, becomes something else, and then it becomes something yep. else entirely, and then it becomes something else entirely. But I like that it has this foundation of just being this relationship drama and this observation of, you know, what it what it is to be in this relationship where one person wants one thing and the other person doesn't want that one thing. So it's um, Micah Monroe and Jake Lacey. They go on a camping trip out in the woods, like in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they are she doesn't want to be there and he desperately wants her to be there so that they can share this experience. And also something else that he has planned, I think, you know, pretty, obvious. we'll just say yeah. that pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just sort of about them being there and you'll learn about the characters and what they want and what they're trying to do. And in the background from the very first scene, you know, that there is something else in the woods that, you kind of start. I started to forget about it. I started to forget that there is this threat in the woods. Me too. For, even though it opens, however you call it, in media res, if you want to say it that way. Yeah. But like, it just shows you like some 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 shits going down in the forest. Yeah. And yeah. then it cuts to them there. So it's like, ooh, what's going to happen to them? Yeah. You wonder like, what? How is this going to play in? You don't know. And except for like a couple scenes where you are reminded by <laughs> by the this presence in the woods it's pretty effective just as this relationship study. Um, and what I will give it credit for is I, you know, what's coming, but you don't know how it's going to go in the direction it's going to go. So you know that this thing is in the woods and you know, it's eventually going to come into play. What I really liked about it is that it does change up the dynamic very severely of what's going on in the movie, but the foundation of it being about the relationship stays the same even with everything being even becomes more about humanity and humans and hume telling a human story as it becomes more otherworldly and that's kind of the genius of it all um i don't want to overhype it because it's a small movie and it's like silly but it's it's so much fun and just not at all what i was expecting and it i would say it's pretty obviously riffing on a couple sci-fi genre classics but at the same time doing its own thing. If I told you which couple, I think I would ruin the mystique of it. So I don't yes. want to say, yeah. but if you message me on Twitter, I will tell you what two movies specifically that I think it's ripping off and or not ripping off, but like paying homage to and totally doing its own thing with. It's so cheap and clever. It's like cheap, small and cheap, but clever and mighty. It's just really a power. Like I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie, how clever I found the misdirect and the the and ultimate reveal of what it's about the especially uh, everything i want to talk about is spoilery but yeah. <laughs> the way that she defeats the the evil in the movie like through this very human thing unlike the way oh, that this, yes. the way that this otherworldly entity like is defeated by a very human thing yeah. i like i thought that was very funny and clever and brilliant i really like this movie and i don't know where the fuck it came from who these guys are who made it it's directed by Robert Olson and Dan Burke. Um, no uh, idea they made why. A movie called Villains that also had Mika Monroe in oh, it. Oh God, I actually did not like that movie. I didn't all. either. <laughs> I didn't like that one either, but I like this one. Yeah, I did not like Villains, but man, I fucking love Significant Other. I thought it was terrific. I'm bummed out that it's like debuting with zero acclaim on Paramount Plus. I can't imagine any other horror movie that's debuted that way. Or I guess Orphan First Kill did, but yeah. uh, Significant but Other. First- I will say Orphan First Kill, at least when I was told I was going to get a screener of it, I got a screener of it. Yeah, This one exactly. I had to wake up this Dude. morning 
and watch I actually it. And I'm glad had I to did. beat that person's door down for weeks to get it. And she f- said she would send it and then didn't for like a week. But I, yeah. I did get it eventually. But yeah, I mean, and that's I mean, that's good. It's, it's this you know, it's one of those case stuff. But I mean, yeah, I know. if you actually I mean, it helps if we get to see the movies because I know. And know. it's a shame that this movie is was coming out so soon from the time I saw it. I hadn't even heard of it. And there was an embargo preventing me from saying anything. So, like, it's ridiculous that they shoot themselves in the foot when they ha- they don't even know what they have, you know? Like, this was a really good movie that, if they hyped it up better, could have been at least have an awareness. I bet most people who listen to this podcast will watch it because we mentioned it, not because they'd heard of it. Like, yeah, when I ran my review this morning, I think there were, like, seven other critics who had reviews up on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. It's like, yeah, there's this no is, awareness. This is about Plus is, like, your, your big, you know, streaming competition, and nobody knows about this movie, which is really clever really funny you know i'm glad you agree i also thought it was very funny at the same time that it's like doing all the sci-fi stuff that is really clever and fun yeah the Uh, big thing i did not expect is that it does become a pretty funny comedy in that second half i wasn't expecting that um yeah it's it's clever and micah monroe is just so terrific and jake lacy is too and he's yeah from the white lotus fame i don't know what else he's from uh he's in the office too he was oh yeah yeah, yeah. the office that's right all right, let's get to a couple more indie genre. Oh, the rest of them are all indie genre stuff, so to speak. Uh, let's go to the next movie, which is Piggy, a movie I saw at Sundance. So I'm going to rely a little heavily here on Mark, but Uh-oh. I did. I do remember it. Um, here we go. Hermita. <laughs> What's going on? What's in the van? What's in the van? That rem- that made me remember this movie very vividly, actually. If yeah. my memory serves, this movie has a killer third act, kind of limps along to the finale, but that finale really delivers in like a horror way. And my my I remember my review being like, this has extreme, this was a short and is now a feature energy. Feels way longer than it's 90 minutes. And there's something there's something that doesn't sit right with me about having that mysterious stranger that shows up in the trailer and the movie be so central to everything. It feels like a lazy writing trick and it should be more Piggy's movie, but I do like it. And I expected a little more based on a blurb that I saw that oversold it. Um, It's like a, I thought it was fairly tame until the end, but when it does get nasty, it does get pretty nasty. Um, I don't know if it was like an expectations versus reality thing, but I remember, yeah, I'm like a, I'm like a gentle three out of four on it, like leaning two and a half even. But where are you on it? I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, but leaning, I think, yeah, more two and a half. I mean, it was two and a half. I'll just say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, I, for me, it had a killer first act um, and then starts to show a little bit of something different in the second act. So the first act is all this, her being tormented and teased by her peers and you really feel that you really feel terrible for this person and then she gets you know from the part where we stop in the trailer she has to make a decision and that decision 
really throws everything up in the air. And it's not surprising that it was based on a short and that the short ends right there, because that is what a great idea. The idea of having your tormentors abducted by a murderer. It's so, and the fact that she just kind of like, okay, all right. See you <laughs> Go later. God. It's like yeah. that's really, it's really powerful. good. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of interesting to watch her try to juggle like hiding that secret that she knows what's up, but also try to find these people because she does start to feel guilty about it. But maybe she doesn't quite feel guilty about it. There is this nice ambiguity as to her motives for trying to look for these people. Is she actually trying to find them or is she trying to find her phone i think her phone is might be connected or they might find a way to her through the phone or if they find the kids the kids are going to know that she was there and let them go it there's there's a nice level of ambiguity to it um yeah when it goes where it goes in the third act yeah it definitely started like oh okay we're just gonna go for the horror and you know people getting you know shot and all this stuff it's like okay there's it's a, such a good setup and so just nasty yeah, we didn't really that, that, I, that was it. what was nasty for me was being like i have all the sympathy for this person who is making a very objectively terrible decision on a moral level yeah but i still kind of feel like i get it <laughs> yeah i get what you're doing and that that you know that that was more interesting to me than wherever it's gonna end up going to just resolve everything as easily as possible yeah but it's just like you know you watch this poor girl get bullied a bunch and you just are kind of waiting for the comeuppance at that point um yeah it was okay it was all right two and a half stars i think for piggy and uh stay sticking on that realm of movie let's go with project wolf hunting a movie that i caught at fantastic fest that apparently is out now for rental yeah, trailer does not sell how insanely bloody and over the top like over the top bloody this movie is i won't even say violent it's mostly just bloody i guess it's violent inherently but there's something about the non-stop geysers of splurting blood that like the first time it happened it's like funny and interesting but then the movie just does that for like two fucking hours. And I don't know. Everyone's talking about this like it's like the raid or something and has amazing action. But I found all the kills like perfunctory rather than expertly staged. I just didn't get the, the love for this movie. People at the festival, including a friend of mine whose podcast I just did, like love this movie and thought it was so fun. They think it's like it's con. <coughs> excuse me. It's <coughs> it's con air on a boat is what they say. And like. And then it turns into something else. And like, I appreciated the like, got, like the craziness of it all. But I was so, fe- again, it just after a slew of like two and a half star festival movies, this one really didn't work for me at all. And I, I keep seeing people praise it. I'm just like, I'm, I love a good blood soaked movie that the whole point is that it's bloody <laughs> as much as anybody. But this did not craft that violence in any meaningful way. 
and I was really bored for the for most of this movie. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, it does become repetitive. There's there's it starts off interesting premise of all these prisoners on this ship. I don't know how they all ended up in the Philippines and need to go to Korea, but that's the way it's set up. And, um, you know, there's some dynamics. You have a bunch of characters you're introduced to and you think all their stories are going to be important. Um, and then very quickly you start to learn that they're just bodies to get stabbed and shot and ripped apart. And, you know, yeah, there is this big change. I don't even know, like in the first 20 minutes or so, where it become the threat becomes something else entirely that kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. And all it just then becomes is, Oh, instead of the knives and the guns, now there's somebody who can just rip off limbs and right. crush throats and concave chests. And it's, it's just more violence and blood. And there's a whole bunch of it. There's a whole bunch of it. And it just, becomes completely repetitive it's not redundant at least because the plot does shift off shift so many times but not in any way that changes the stakes any way that changes what the movie's doing what it's trying to do it's just a whole bunch of violence a whole bunch of characters we don't care about and if we even because one most of them are awful and two we don't get to spend enough time with any of them before they're killed off yeah the movie just puts them on a boat and it's just like I hope you care that these people are all going to die. And it's like, well, I don't, but I, I just wish, I wish it looked better and was more entertaining. I just, I think it's like one of those style over substance for sure. But like, that's fine. I there's style over substance stuff. That's fantastic. I just think this movie doesn't have any style at all. Like it doesn't, the, it's truly just geysers of blood. That's all I think about. When I think about this movie and like, that's not interesting. Been done. I didn't like it. I'm two stars. I think actually. Yeah. I'm right right on that same boat with you wow we are in sync more than ever i think we're about to talk about our 11th movie right now i think Um, so i think it's 12 if you count lyle um this is less a movie and more of a branded content more feature length branded content it's a commercial the product tie-in is the whole fucking movie it's spirit halloween starring christopher lloyd and a bunch of kids who can't act We can always just watch a scary movie at my place. Dude, we need something super creepy or I'm out. You want something really creepy? How about a night locked in here? Pop of Halloween store in a creepy lot? Awesome. <laughs> Booyah! Final notice. <laughs> Spirit that can't let go of his life? Possibly someone who died here. Alec Windsor. We're doing something Saturday. Three of us. Best holiday of the year, just like always. But the store closed and we're still inside. You mean the store's locked and we're trapped inside. <laughs> Ooh, spooky. Spooky stuff's going to happen in the... What's in the doll? What's in the doll? <laughs> in the spirit Halloween store. It's so funny when he's like, let's spend a night here. And he shows his phone. And I was expecting some like horrific haunted house or something that's like spooky it's just like a storefront for a spirit halloween <laughs> it's it's so blatant i mean obviously it's blatantly just shilling for the for the fucking store that's the whole point but you'd hope that they would use the opportunity of casting christopher lloyd and actually making a movie to at least do something um but they don't 
And the child actors, I thought, were so bad. It was so distracting. You can see them prepping to say their next lines as soon as they finish the, their other one. It's like, I've never noticed that in a movie before. Um, I thought this sucked. It should have felt like a godsend after a movie um, like Willy's Wonderland, which also messes up this premise of like animatronics and costumey things come to life. But they both just suck. And uh, there's a third go of that. There's going to be a Blumhouse movie called Five Night at Five Nights at Freddy's, and they're actually getting animatronics from Jim Henson's Creature Shop is doing it. So that finally, ha- maybe they'll do this premise right the third time. But you know, I'm obsessed now with the idea of turning brick and mortar chain stores into movies. Let's keep them coming. It's a logical endpoint of SpawnCon, a feature length advertisement. Let's see Spencer's Gifts. Let's see Nordstrom. I want to see Marshall Fields. Let's go. Uh, what did you think of this? Did you did you get through it? I did. Oh yeah, I got through it. <laughs> I mean, um, it should be more fun as a you know kitty horror movie, like entry level horror movie, and it should be more fun as a blatant piece of advertising. And I I I think they botched both of them. It's not yeah particularly funny or scary on any level, even for kids. I don't think. Um, and in terms of being advertising, a good chunk of the movie is spent like in an underground cavern. Like what is are are in the backs the backstage area of the yeah. store? It's like what is what are you showing us? Why does this make me want to go to this store? It's not good as a horror narrative and it's not good as advertising. I And like there's precedent for this type of like it should be like a goosebumps, you know? Like it should yeah. be like a, that type of movie, which was very fun. The and so was the second one. Is, yeah, the first Goosebumps is a lot of fun. I'm not a big fan of the second one, but the first one is, yeah. You don't like Haunted Halloween? I remember thinking it was fine. Uh, I don't remember it very much, though. But this had a window to like be a movie like that. And, you know, stuff comes to life in a costume store isn't a terrible premise for a, sh- for a silly kids movie. So it's a bummer that they couldn't wrangle up anything of note. It's not worth renting on a Tuesday, October 11th, when it is out to rent and buy. It also it actually played in theaters. You can did, find yeah. you can find letterbox people who were like, "Yeah, I just was at the theater and noticed this was playing, and I had to see it, and it was every bit as bad as I thought it would be." Uh, so yeah, it's not good. It's it's not even an interesting oddity. Like it's just not worth your time. Uh, one out of four. One and a half out of and four. I'm yeah. I'm giving Luckiest Girl Alive. Uh, did Ebert did when he did zero? He did zero on occasion. Yeah, on the website it shows up as a uh, yeah, but he used to be. Thumb. Yeah, it was. It used to be just zero stars. Yeah, I would give it a zero. I give Luckiest Alive a zero. But uh, that was eleven movies, uh, unbelievable, and we did it in eighty-ish minutes. Uh, thank you so much, Mark. We will be back next week with the movies out on the fourteenth. So, uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye. Show starts in one...
Jalan sah, shut up. Ush. <laughs> <laughs>